We now start a whole new Masechta. This is Maseches Shkalim, and although typically I give a separate introduction to give an overview, an introduction to the themes of the Masechta, in this case I'm going to just have my introduction to the first Mishnah incorporate what I would say as a basic introduction. So the theme of this Masechta has to do with the administration of the Beis HaMikdash, and specifically the collection and distribution of the money, which we refer to as the Shkalim, that is used to purchase the communal offerings, like the Korban Tamad and the Musafin, uh, in the Temple. So Shkalim referring to these coins, the first two chapters talk about their collection, the second two chapters talk about their distribution, and then we'll go on um, for the latter four chapters of the Masechta to discuss other administrative issues that pertain to the Beis HaMikdash. Now, that being the case, in truth, one would think that the Masechta really belongs in Seder Kadshim, the order of the Mishnah, which deals with the various aspects of what went on in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, however, it, it does feature here for whatever reason. Mephorshim explains and suggests that perhaps it's coming here um, because we'll see that part of the annual cycle, which is emphasized in the very beginning of our Masechta, of what goes on in the month preceding Nisan, the month of Adar, and the collection of these uh, monies, as well as other things that the the courts ensure are done in Adar, um, start here. And that being the case, some suggest that the reason why the Masechet appears right after Pesachim is because it's around that time of year. Um, I'm particularly, personally, I'm partial to the explanation that the order of the Masechetas is simply a decreasing goes in order of decreasing number of chapters of Prakim, and since our Masechta has eight chapters, and the preceding Masechta of Erev and Pesachim at ten, so it comes next. Yoma comes next, also with eight, and then we'll go down from there. In any case, so, the Masechta really is built on one mitzvah, the mitzvah to, for every Jewish male to give a half of the standard coin of the time, um, referred to as the Machsa Shekel, as we'll see in the Masech itself, that the large coin they used in the time of the Second Temple was called the Sela. And um, the Sela was equal to four dinar, or Zuz. Dinar and Zuz are the same thing. And half of that is two dinar, two Zuz. And the coin, which is worth the value of two dinar, two Zuz, or more relevantly, half of the Sela, is called a Shekel. So although in the time of the Temple, it was a whole shekel in time of the psukim of the in the Mishkan time and then the Chumash. It's referred to as half a shekel because it's referring to weight. Okay, be that as it may, here it's all built on some verses that come in Shmos when they did a census in Parshat Kitisa, and they collected everyone giving um, half a shekel's weight worth of silver um, to be counted as part of the census. And from those verses, we understand there's an obligation for Jews to also contribute, um, every Jew to contribute towards um, the funds that are used for communal offerings in the temple. So those verses are, like I said, in the beginning of Kitisa. The Pesukim read, V'yadaber Hashem l'Moshe lemor. God spoke to Moshe saying, Kisisa es rosh b'nei Yisrael l'fkudehem, when you're going to count the Jews for a census. V'nasnu ish kofer nafsho Every Jewish male, and we'll see this mitzvah is going to be only for men ultimately, um, will give some sort of atonement for his soul by through the counting. And by using the silver as a proxy for instead of counting the heads themselves, that will prevent um, any sort of like plague amongst the people. 
Zayitnu kolha over al hapkudim. This is what everyone who's getting counted should give. Machtes hashekel b'shekel kodesh. They should give half of a shekel's weight of silver, um, using the shekel kodesh, the holy shekel weight, which is equivalent of esrim geira hashekel. The shekel weighs the same as twenty geira, another unit of weight. Machtes shekel trumas lashem, and this half shekel will be a gift to God. Now truma which means like a contribution or gift, um, also has the connotation of being elevated or elevation because like Romamut um, or uh, no, Rome means height or height, elevation. So truma means that it is um, somehow elevating to make this contribution, if you will. That's what all trumas, every donation is like that. So we'll see that this word truma appears three separate times in this passage. Okay, and that's going to be very important. So the first time here is it's called the truma Lashem, already seeming a little bit redundant, but the mission, the verses continue on. They say, over al esrim hashem." Everyone who is going to be counted from twenty years old and up, and that's actually important, according to many, that's that's very important for our masechta. Yiten trumas hashem, they will give this contribution to God, a contribution of God. Again, the word truma appearing for a second time, again rather superfluously. And third of all, it says, He'ashir lo yarbeh, the rich person can't add, v'hadal lo yamit, nor may the poor person detract, b'machtes a shekel, from their contribution, which should be exactly half of a shekel's weight of silver. L'ases es trumas Hashem l'chaper al nafshoseichem, to give this trumas Hashem, this contribution of Hashem, again, truma now for the third time, um, to atone for their souls. It's called an atonement for the souls again, you and you setting up the Mishkan with this, and you're buying the Karbonos to do the various offerings. That all's the point of that is to affect atonement, kapara. That's why. And you shall collect this atonement silver from the Jewish people. You'll apply it to the work done in the Oel Moed, the tent of meeting. And will serve as a reminder of the Jewish people before Hashem to atone for their souls. So, we have three times the word truma being used in this passage and referring to giving of half of a shekel's weight of silver. Now, the Chazal understand that there were three separate contributions given that are referred to in this passage, each in the amount of half a shekel's weight of silver. The first contribution was to the actual building construction of the Mishkan, that, that portable temple, the tabernacle, and specifically the silver went to make the Adonim, these kind of sockets which ended up being um, the foundation and base that kept the structure of the uh, I'll call them the walls that went around um, the, the Mishkan. Second of all, the money was used to actually buy and pay for the various communal offerings, etc., that were used um, in the service of the base of Mikdash. And finally, there's a third truma that is, unlike the first two, voluntary in nature. The first two were obligatory. Everyone had to give. The third is actually voluntary that people can give to their, the extent of their nadiva slave, their magnanimity. They can opt to contribute to the base of Mikdash, or the Mishkan, and it's functioning. Now, that was a, those tripart half-shekel contribution was done in the time of the verses, in the time of the Mishkan, that one time. 
But Chazal understand that in these verses is the mandate that every Jew, every year, if he's male and over either bar mitzvah or 20 years old, but you see, um, must contribute half a shekel's weight worth of silver or half a coin of a large coin there towards the Beis funds to purchase the communal offerings which will be used to atone for all the members of Kalah Yisrael. And that mitzvah is a mitzvah d'oraisa. It's one of the taryag mitzvahs to give this machs a shekel. Um, and it applies during the time of the Beis HaMikdash. Nowadays, there's no Beis HaMikdash, unfortunately, and therefore there's no mitzvah d'oraisa of giving any machs a shekel. Um, so this mitzvah larger doesn't apply, um, and for that reason, perhaps, there's no Talmud Bavli on this Masechta, because the and tip, typically the Masechtas that didn't have much application after the Chorban didn't get the treatment of the Talmud Bavli, so that's why there's not much Bavli in terms of all of Seder Kudshim and almost all of Seder Taras and Seder Zeroim. Um, here too, while there is a Yushalmi, there's no Bavli on our, our Masechta. Nowadays, however, the Ramah brings L'Halacha in Orchaim Simon Tafresh Tzadi Dalid that there is a minhag, this is really based on Rama, but there's a minhag um, that one should give machs a shekel or even three half shekels um, on the eve of Purim in Adar as a remembrance, a zecher of this machs a shekel obligation. And that is certainly the custom, certainly by Ashkenazim, we do give um, three half shekels or half dollars or half pounds, whatever your half of the local currency is and wherever you are in Eretzral or abroad. Um, on let's say on Tinus Esther t- typically, um, to to uh, as a remembrance, a reminder of this mitzvah d'oraisa, which will kick in again as Hashem with the rebuilding of the base English. Please go ahead very soon. In the time of the base English, this would apply to every Jew, even if he lived outside of Eretz Yisrael. And similarly, the custom here that the Ramah brings is going to apply even outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now, our mission is going to begin by talking about the reminding people that they have to do this mitzvah in the time of the base of Mikdash. Now, this might sound a little strange, but you have to understand that in the time of the Second Temple period and the Mishnah period, people did not use money in nearly the same quantity as they use today. Most of what they did was, you know, subsistence farming, etc., or bartering, and money, which was a thing, they did have coins in the time of the Second Temple, and they did use them, but much less frequently than you would imagine. When that being the case, the people needed to be um, reminded not just to make their contribution, but actually um, to make the effort to get the coin they would need to make the contribution that's required of them. And therefore, the Mishnah here begins. It says, Be'echad ba'adar, on the first day of Adar, mashmin ala They remind everyone, they, that's the courts, make it known. Mashmiya is to make it heard. Make it known that the obligation to give the shekel and also the kilayim obligation, I'll explain in a moment, um, is now going to be kicking in. Now, the shkalim reminder, 30 days before, and then the Rosh Chodesh Adar, is uh, because the deadline, if you will, the hard deadline, where it really matters that everyone's given their machzah shekel, is going to be Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan. And this is because, um, actually based on a verse, the, the verse that talks... It's actually a verse that's talking about um, the the Musaf that's done on the Rosh Chodesh in the new month. Um, but the verse says, Zos Olas Chodesh Bechad Shoh Lechad Sheh Hashanah, which is, says this is the 
burnt offering, the holy burnt offering um, for the month, in its month, for the months of the year. And the fact that there's a lot of redundancy with the word chodesh there, the rabbis sort of, they made a drush, they understand from there, that chodesh b'chadsho tells you that there's a certain month that you need to, that's the word chodesh, that you need to lichadesh, that you need to renew the bringing the supplies, the financial pool from which you will purchase Korbonos Tzibor, the communal offerings um, that will be used from a new collection, a new truma. And the fact that it says Lechad Hashana, they understand that to mean that it's the month of the year that is like the first of the months, meaning Nisan, because the as the Pesach says, Rishon Hu Lechem Lechad Hashana. So Nisan is the first of the months of the year. So based on that, Josh, we understand that every year there will be a new collection of shekels that will be pooled together, and from that pool of money will be used to purchase the various korbanos sibor, the communal offerings. And since the first time that like they sort of dip the cup into the treasure chest and pull out a you know a big cup of coins that will be used to go purchase the animals, and was done on the first of Nisan, all the money has to be in by then. Typically, when Chazal need to give you notice and warning to put you get you ready for something, they give you 30 days before, like Shloshim Yom Kodem Achag, etc. 30 days um, is there sufficient amount of notice. And that being the case, 30 days before the first day of Nisan will be the first day of Adar. And that's when they put everyone notice, don't forget to get your Shkalim. Now, here it's a Shkalim, not Machtas HaShekel or Chatzi Shkalim. The reason why is because, as I said in the introduction a few moments ago, the big coin was the Sela, and half of that coin, the half of the big coin, was actually called a shekel. So they're being reminded to get their shkalim um, because that's what they, they need. Um, if you're curious, it's not exactly clear how much the shekel is that we're talking about, um, but the machzah shekel waits in the time of, of the first temple um, period and even before in the Mishkan period. It was probably somewhere between um, four and a half and seven grams of silver um, back then, hard to know exactly. That's I'm talking about archaeologically based on what, what's been found. And so, in the time of the Second Temple period, it seems that the cella um, was a little was the half of a cella was a little larger, somewhere around somewhere like say between eight and a half and maybe nine or so grams of silver. Uh, so, um, at this time, we're talking about something in the ballpark of five dollars worth of value, um, twenty shekels worth of value, whatever, something like that. Um, but uh, I don't know if that's relevant whatsoever in terms of the value today, to equate the value to then. But in terms of silver, we're talking about that, that amount of silver as a coin. Now, as for the kilaim, they remind them of the kilaim. This is something different, and it's a side point, but because this mission, the next mission focuses on kilaim, we have to discuss it for a second. Kilaim is the prohibition against mixing certain um, combinations that ought not to be mixed. There are actually five mitzvah in the Torah that prohibit kilaim. One applies to mixing... Um, natural fibers of wool and linen together to make garments. It's called shotness. Um, there's also two that apply to animals. You can't cross-breed different species of animals, like a horse and a donkey to make a mule. You can't force them to mate. And also you can't cross-work, as I, that's my my term, um, animals when you can't harness together, let's say, a donkey and a and a cow to pull a plow or something like that, or even, you know, a, a, a dog and a wolf to pull a sled for an Iditarod race. Can't do that. Is it from the Torah? Um, those are three of them. The other two are relevant to our mission, like those first three. And those are the two that apply to agriculture. One is the prohibition against planting mixed species of grains or 
could be or, or greens or of legumes. Those are that's called kilai zraim, forbidden mixtures of seeds. Um, and there's also a fifth one called kilai akerim, which lahalacha means planting a forbidden mixture of seeds in a vineyard where you have grapes growing. Okay, so we're referring to those latter two mitzvahs, and the point is that while the mitzvah midoraiz, the prohibition is not to plant. Let's just focus on the the we'll call it. Um, wheat and barley is an example of mixes kilai zoraim. So you can't plant wheat and barley together, and if you do, that'd be the isra But if you didn't plant them together, but just you know you planted a wheat field, but there's some barley growing in the field also because you know things happen. There's birds, there's wind, there's you know admixtures in your seed and so on and so forth. Um, so if you have a field that's got wool, uh, wheat and barley growing together, and it looks like you plant them together, that'll be prohibited. Midurabanan because of Maris Ain. It looks like you plant the Kilaim. Not a Doraisa, but a Durabanan. And if you've got more than what boils down to one twenty-fourth of your field growing of this admixture, the, the wrong species, so then the obligation is you have to remove, like pull out those weeds, remove those those other species that doesn't belong there, so it doesn't look like you planted Kilaim. So in the time of the Mishnah. When did things start to sprout? In the beginning of the springtime. The beginning of Adar is flying around, like, say, the beginning of March time, roughly speaking. And at that point, you can already see what's begun to sprout in your field. And you can see if you have kilaim, if in your wheat field you have barley growing there. And you can identify the barley compared to the wheat. And if so, we're telling you now, get rid of that barley so it doesn't look like you have planted barley and wheat together on purpose. That's what we're referring to over here. Mishnah continues and says, Bechamisha Sarbo, on the 15th of that month of Adar, Korin esa magilla bekrachin. We started by listing all the various um, administrative things that happened on the 15th of the month of Adar. So we're going to have some things that are totally extraneous, but since they did happen to happen on that day, on the 15th of Adar, we'll mention them. And the first of those is the reading of the Megillah. Normally, we're used to reading Megillah on the 14th of Adar in most places, but cities that were walled in the time of Joshua, Yeshua ben Nun, as well as the city of Shushan Abira, where in Shushan, in the Purim story, they didn't celebrate till the 15th, so like the 15th there, and other walled cities like Jerusalem, we don't read till the 15th. So if the 15th, on the 15th, we read the Megillah in walled cities. Those are the Krachen. Also on the 15th of Adar, they began to fix the roads. Don't forget, you, in an age before proper paving, so over the winter months, the rain comes, the roads get ruined, muddy, and you know no longer flat and so on. And therefore, difficult to traverse with your wagon, etc. So you have to refix the roads. And the Esarachovos, if you have this gear, I mean, you do, I'm sure, but there were those who didn't. Um, the Barthenor did. They also fixed the Rehovos. The Rehovos here either means the, the town square, like where they would gather in the city, um, or like the side streets within the town. And either way, Rehovos are happening inside the city, whereas Drachim are happening between cities. So they have to fix those as well to make them now usable and functional. Now the ways rains have stopped. There's a mikvos, hamayim, and same goes for the fixing up of the mikvah. Mikvaos, the mikvah, we're talking here not really drinking water. We're talking here mikvah for tevila, for immersion, for getting pure and entire yourself. So we're talking about A, cleaning out the mikvahs because throughout the winter, you know, whatever floats does float into the mikvah and they get green and they get muddy and so on and rocks. All that stuff has to be removed and cleaned out. So the mikvahs are nice again now that it stopped raining. And also they have to measure the mikvahs to make sure that the mikvah has the proper amount of water. They need to have a minimum of 40 sa'a, whatever that is, um, of water. And if you have rocks falling in, and you have evaporation happening, etc., so you have to confirm that this dynamic system of the mikvah has what it needs to be a functional halachic mikvah. 
Furthermore, on the 15th of Adar, Va'os and Kol Tzarche HaRabim, the court did everything that needed to be done on behalf of the of the uh, the people. Um, this refers actually specifically to various court proceedings as the year is coming, so to speak, the fiscal year, if you will, is coming to an end in Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the new first month is coming. They want to make sure that everything has been sorted sorted out. You see that everyone's coming out of their homes and re-emerging into the world at the end of winter, and therefore they have to make sure that the different court proceedings are taken care of, like Dine Mamonos and Dine Nefashos and Erechen and all, all sorts of other court functions. Umitzainen Esakvaros, they re-indicated where the graves were. That is to say, the graves had to be marked so that people didn't walk over them and become tame or touch them, become tame and not know. Um, so you have to mark them off. They typically marked their graves off with plaster, sid, and it's white, like the color of bone. But um, since over the over the rain, they could be washed away, covered up, ruined, and has to be remarked, recleaned to make sure the people can see exactly where the graves are. And that's a big deal to Chazal. You see how Chazal um, were concerned about Bate Pras, where like you know graves can get lost. In other Mishnahs elsewhere, we're concerned about, you know, the Chazal were made a decree on Eretz Amim, like outside of Eretz Yisrael, that there should be Tameh because they didn't keep track of where the graves were and so on. So this is very important. They remarked the graves. V'yotzin af al-kilaim. They even went out regarding the kilaim. Um, that is, say, on the, fifth, on the first of Adar, they announced, telling everybody, go check your field, make sure everything's in order. On the 15th, as we'll see in the next Mishnah, they actually sent out agents to go check that people were not growing what looks like key lime in their fields, and more on what those people would do in the next Mishnah.